Hello, friends. I'm your host, Christina, and you're listening to Radical Stepmoms, a podcast about the good, bad, and really ugly moments about raising a child that you didn't create. Here, I'll discuss the realities of co-parenting, the way stepmotherhood affects a marriage, the relationship with our stepkids, and most of all, navigating the relationship with ourselves. I want each episode to leave you feeling validated, empowered, and oh so radical. So pour yourself a LaCroix, a glass of red, or whatever, and listen in on Radical Stepmoms. Hello, you are listening to Radical Stepmoms. This is Christina. I am chatting with Katie Beth today. Hi, Katie Beth. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yay. I think that you have a lot in your story that others can relate to and benefit from hearing how you are navigating and, and going through all the stepmotherhood stuff. So I'm welcoming you on like I usually do. How about you just kick us off? with telling a little bit about yourself, how long you've been, been been doing the stepmom thing, stepkids, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I am 32 and I have been a stepmom for about two years. My partner or my husband and I, sorry, I'm still so used to saying that we've been married not even a year. <laughs> Yay. But we, we met on Bumble. Oh. We both, <laughs> yeah, we're a Bumble couple that has <laughs> been successful and yeah, we met a little over two years ago, of course, as you can imagine, I feel like with the step parent thing and like the whole kids being involved, it either moves extremely fast after that or like really slow. So we were in an extremely fast situation. You know, I was obviously kind of like, just like all of us, I don't think you ever prepare yourself to meet somebody with kids and become a stepmom, but that's how it worked out. Oh, I have a question when it comes yeah. to like Bumble and and meeting someone in that way. Were you aware that he had, was he the type that like put out there like on his profile that he had kids right away? Yes. He, he it said, I don't know if you're familiar with Bumble. No, I was a Tinder user. If that dates okay. me, that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it like list already has, like it will say has kids does a lot more, wants kids, that kind of thing. And Uh his said has kids, but wants more, which was, I for sure knew I wanted kids. So I was like, okay, I won't rule him out because he has kids. And he was pretty like a proud dad, kind of very forward about having two kids. So yeah, we met on Bumble, things moved relatively quickly. We were kind of long distance, about an hour and a half away from each other. And so of course, this thing started to get serious. That was really hard. And again, these tough decisions have to be made relatively quickly. What was his custody schedule when you met him? So when we met, he had the kids most of the time. There's no custody schedule in place. It was very loose and needed a lot of boundaries to be added to the situation. I I think we talked for like a month just over text and stuff before we even met in person because the schedule was just so chaotic and he never knew when he'd have the kids and when he wouldn't have the kids, but he was having them most of the time at that point. And now we're like 50, 50. It's kind of a crazy schedule, which I can get into later needed, but we have them just as much as she does. And yeah, so it it took a while for us to like actually meet each other, but I'm curious at any point during your month of talking, were you like ever asked, like thinking to yourself, like, this is a little chaotic or, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. like, I mean, cause <laughs> I I'm speaking for myself and that after I met my uh, now husband, right? Like he 
I think he's like, you wouldn't go out on a date with me forever. Like I, I was like, dude, just chill. Like for a long time. Yeah. And it was because I was like, he's got a kid. <laughs> like, so it took me a while, even though I was interested. So you were kind of getting a little outsider view perspective of their dynamics. Yes. And it was pretty much more chaotic then than it is now. And I absolutely, we clicked though, just it was so easy to talk. And so I knew I wanted to meet him, but I was, I was admittedly like frustrated with like, we would even make plans. And then suddenly he would have to have the kids because she would tell him at the last minute, like that's the kind of situation it was. And so I am very much like a type A planner, did not like that at all. So of course I wasn't going to just say that haven't even met this guy in person, but over time we've set really good boundaries, but ultimately it came down to, so we're in South Carolina and ultimately, and I was in North Carolina, but we were about an hour and a half away from each other and decisions had to be made about who's going to move and that kind of thing. And I had a pretty like solid career. I'm a social worker, master's level social worker and had like up in this nonprofit and was actually had just accepted a job at a place in Charlotte as a executive director. It's a really small nonprofit, but it was a big deal. And so I pretty much had to make a decision like, what are we doing from here? And so I ultimately left my job and it, it was worth it. And like, I knew I had been like longing to be a mom and have my children and like I, before I met him, I had kind of was at this crossroads of like, I had given everything to my career and going back to school and all of this. And I was like, I feel like I have been ready. I am ready to be a mom. And I need to get that same energy to creating that part of my life that I want. And so I kind of took a risk and I'm not a big risk taker, <laughs> but I kind of took a risk. I said, okay, I'm going to do this and left my job, found a job near him because we... We knew that it, even if we were going to fight the situation and try to get primary custody or get them to, to where he could move, that that was going to be a long road ahead. And ultimately, we weren't going to sacrifice any time with the kids. And I didn't want to do that. So I decided to move. So we're in South Carolina, about 15 minutes from Biomom. And we've created our life here for now. And so I'm not too far from family, about like an hour and a half. And and so that's kind of like the long and short of mm-hmm. how we met and how I'm in met. South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And so we, and it was funny, I always that like, this is kind of how I knew that he was probably the one on our first date. I feel like just our ages and he's eight years older than me, our ages and the fact that he had like all of this past and like kids involved and, you know, he needs to be transparent about that. And I was very much like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm either going to give this whole like finding the right person to start a family with thing one more try and if it doesn't work I'm having a baby on my own like I had de- decided that like my family knew that I'd already started looking into how to do that so on our first date we were just like it's almost like we were trying to scare one another away and I was like well listen I'm ready to have a baby and <laughs> you do like all the things you're not supposed to do on the first date yeah exactly and he was like well I've got this situation and it's not easy and it's kind of chaotic and I've got two kids and you know all this stuff and and neither of us were scared away and so that's a challenge like, okay, accepted this is this is a good sign yeah. so I kind of just progressed from there and you know I knew like with me getting older and 
I just kind of had always had this feeling and it might sound crazy, but that it might not be just like this linear process of me having children. And so I have been on birth control for all these years and I had stopped before I met. I'm just like, I'm not like, I want to have a baby and I don't want to be on birth control anymore. I feel like I've been on it for so many years. What if it's affecting me? Like, and kind of just like letting this play out the way it did. And he knew this. And so we knew that we weren't trying to have kids necessarily, but we weren't not, not, not trying. trying. Yes. Uh And we were fine with whatever happened. And so we did, we got, we got in, am I rambling or going too far? (laughs) You're great. Yeah. (laughs) So we ended up getting pregnant and like the, so I moved in the summer of 21. I moved, we all moved in together. So did you meet during COVID? We met like the tail end kind of of 2020. Yeah. So during COVID and I met the kids in like spring of 21 and he did like an amazing job. I mean, because we all know that that's like the scariest thing. Yeah. Tell us about uh, being presented and yeah. And you're just so nervous. Like this is a make or break situation. (laughs) And what are are their ages? So they are 10 and seven now. And so they were eight and five. Yeah. Eight and five when we met and he did a really great job of like slowly just talking about me and like kind of introducing me just in the conversations. And then we, I don't know if you've heard of Marco Polo, but that's like what we lived on, but it's like an app where it's kind of like mm -hmm. FaceTime, but it's like a walkie talkie almost like back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so he'd like let them watch the Marco Polos of me and like kind of chime in sometimes. And just to start getting used to that idea of like dad having a girlfriend. And so he did this, he just did a great job of like doing it in the right timing in the right way. And so we met like a very neutral place at a trampoline park um, where they live (laughs) and got light lunch and went to the park after and ate lunch at the park. And it was just immediate, like, I'm going to get kind of emotional. Like it just clicked, you know? Yeah. You knew. You're so nervous about that situation. Like, like I said, it's make or break it or, or even if it's not make or break, the the situation can be so complex. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a very sensitive sensitive yeah. time for everyone, right? You right. feel like you're have to be perfect, and the kids are probably nervous or at least curious. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we things went really well, and it just it felt natural. And then from there, like pretty much all every time he had them. And at this point, I had already, we had already been working together, my husband and I, about setting those boundaries. With the ex? Yes. We're okay. never going to be able to like have a life together, whatever that's going to mm-hmm. be, and however quickly that's going to happen. If you don't even know when you're supposed to have the kids and when you don't, and when her family's chiming in and texting you and causing conflict. And so at that point, I was having those conversations with and I don't know if you're familiar probably with the Enneagram oh yeah just so, just so you have a good idea yeah <laughs> I'm a type one wing okay. two okay and he is a type nine okay um, I don't necessarily know his wing but he's definitely a nine and so you know he just needed that nudge of like and he's also a dad and he was fearful in a very like 
pro-mom state, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, many are, but yeah. To, <laughs> I don't really yeah, to, know a pro-dad state. <laughs> right. <laughs> to rock the boat, I guess. And so, but with nudging and encouragement and kind of like that outside perspective, we got to a point where just verbally, at least we have a schedule and that is the schedule. And we've had, we've pushed back before when she wants to change it. And when she, when things are not convenient for her, you know, so by this point we had a schedule when I met the kids. Yeah. What's your relationship like with her? Or, I mean, you, you met the kids. Did you, what, did you have a formal meeting with her? Did you kind of just step into the picture? There was no formal meeting. And I talked to my husband about that, like, how do you like want that to happen? And if he felt like that was appropriate and he didn't feel like that was needed, she, and I don't know if this matters, but she ended their relationship and quickly there was someone else. Mm-hmm. If okay. that makes sense. It yeah. can be like the, there's speculation. Yeah. Phase. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very quickly after that, there was someone else and not the best person to be in the kid's life they've never had they never had or have had a good relationship and it was all very quickly done poorly and like my husband wasn't informed about it or introduced or talked to about it nothing and so I think part of it is he didn't want to give her that because he wasn't given that but of course quickly after there were exchanges where I was a present or something like that and at first it was very much just I wasn't there. It's pretty much the way it was treated was like I didn't exist, You're, which was yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. That's better than conflict, like conflict, I guess. But now I do the majority of exchanges because of my husband's new job and his schedule. And it's very matter of fact, like if there's information I need or she needs, hey, so-and-so's been sick. Here's the medication they're taking, whatever, or something like that. But it's not like we're friends. And is that comfortable? Fine. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I I know that like it's a spectrum of like everybody has their opinion. And some people like that's a dream to be like best friends with the ex. That's not how I want it to no, be. I, but I do want it to be civil and a good just situation for the kids, especially. And so that's what we've created. But In the beginning, though, when I was first around, there was a lot of drama with mostly her family, like her mom and her grandmother. So they're all kind of like a younger, like generation, like generationally, they're like young moms, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of drama there. So. Walk us through the drama. What is drama? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's interesting, you know, there's like conflict with bio, I'm sure, but I don't know how often I've heard about conflict. I mean, I've heard of conflict with like mother-in-laws, like partners, yeah. family, but right. But how is bio mom's family involved in all this? Is she, or, yeah. Well, they don't like me. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. very obvious. So it's your fault. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> they, they do not like me. They don't like my husband either, but I just think that... There's this like generational kind of like enabling and you're such a social worker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> enabling. <laughs> Let's talk about the generational drama here in life. So. Yeah. Generational <laughs> like enabling going on and mm-hmm. kind of toxicity is probably the best word to use. So yeah, everything was my husband's fault. 
they and, and so some of the I'll just get to the drama. So a lot of the stuff we were dealing with in this early stages was them talking really poorly and like making up lies about my husband, telling my stepdaughter and so and and then I have my stepson has autism and so he's very minimally verbal. He's grown leaps and bounds since I've met him, but much of what we rely on of what's going on over there or anything we hear is coming from my stepdaughter. And she was coming back just upset, like talking. And this was like long before ours baby was even in the picture saying that dad, you know, Nana said that dad is going to move on and start a new family and leave us as that's what's going to happen. You know, just horrible stuff. Like, to say to your grandchild, regardless of how you feel about their dad right. or their mm-hmm. stepmom, you know, and just she's not your stepmom and they're not married and just a lot of causing a lot of drama and heartache, honestly, for my stepdaughter. And just she 100% wanted to just go all in and be like, like loved me, connected with me. But it's almost like that loyalty bind. Oh, totally. Of, and, and stepmom alienation. And it's yeah, almost like, God, you know, that's the same stuff. Every time people say the same, like, can people get new material? Can right. they come at us in a new way that's like right. original <laughs> and actually hurtful instead of you're just ignorant and arrogant and like <laughs> saying things that are not even going to yeah. happen. And- yeah. And it's and it's just it's. And it's just unnecessary. And like you're saying, you know, it's, it doesn't have actual thought of how you're impacting your, your grandkids or your kids. It, you're doing it out of selfishness. And that's right. And, and that's long term, that has long term effects. So you were seeing the outcome, you were seeing the impacts of, of these comments. Yeah. And it was clearly affecting relationships like in our home. And, you know, of course, we always reassured and that kind of thing. But ultimately, I think the best way I can sum up the drama is that a lot of the drama y'all see, like we see with the ex, was the same drama just coming from mom or or grandma and great grandma. Her entourage. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And they're very much influential over bio mom. Like, I, I honestly think that if bio mom was in a different environment, like let's just say we all moved to a different area or something like that, that again, I don't think we'll ever be like BFFs or anything, but I really think that like she would be better off and like getting out of that toxic like environment where she's just so influenced and a lot of, I think a lot of the things that make parenting with them difficult with her difficult is is them and it's them in her ear and but it's coming through her sometimes Mm -hmm. and we know that she's getting fed this stuff so that's complicated but yeah so we've set boundaries like they they would be texting my husband they reached out to my mother-in-law who i have a great relationship with oh good thankfully there's no drama (laughs) on that side yeah (laughs) they'd be reaching out to her like making up lies like about me like trying to say that there was one point they call yeah like why are you and so my mother-in-law of course caught on that like this is just a bunch of drama and so pretty much at one point my husband like texted the grandmother and great-grandmother and said hey unless you're like watching the kids and there's an emergency and you can't get a hold of 
bio moms, then I don't want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm not parenting with you. It, if you have questions, cause they would just find ways to have to reach out to him and be present in our lives. And that's what I hated. I was like, I, can we not just have like our safe space? And so we finally have it, <laughs> but it took a lot of work with like, yeah. and when he reached out to them and said that, like they came and like knocked on his door. Oh my and, goodness. Like, You're not going to tell me like it was, if he didn't answer the door. So it was pretty intense yeah. at that point, but we don't hear from them anymore. Good. I, I, I think the best way I can kind of summarize the way it is right now between the two houses is we're definitely parallel parenting, which works great. Like why sit there and try to co-parent and like, it's a joke, you know, I mean, it's not going to work. Let's just do what works and it's best for the kids. And so parallel parenting is absolutely that. We have a group text between me, my husband and bio. Whose idea was that? Well, I had mentioned it a lot earlier on because I had seen like a lot of your content about how great that is and all this stuff and like this, the email. So I'd like thrown around the idea of email and stuff and we never really got around to it, not because he was opposed, but I also think a lot of times he wanted to like protect me. For sure. Being yeah. Involved, it's a which slippery is slope. And it's it like, is. oh, you're involved, but also you're involved. <laughs> right. And so... What was kind of like the final tipping point was when my husband started a new job about a year ago, he had, he has like a security clearance and can't have his phone, <laughs> can't have his phone on. Everyone sweepy um, just jumped on my desk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Continue. And he was, yeah. So he has a security clearance of this, this job that he works at and he wasn't able to have his phone on him all the time. And so in the event that something was going on with exchange or one of the yeah. kids was home sick and I was going to need to meet her versus pick him up from school, whatever, he knew that I needed to be the first to know. So that's when the group text came sure. in and yeah. we just consistently use it for all communication now. Yeah. So I want to just pause for a second and like just acknowledge the dynamic that exists when a stepmom comes into the picture and no boundaries have been established or no real structure has been set. There's a lack of respect. There is like still some sort of feelings about like the severed relationship you know, like you're in like his in ex in-laws being all in their feels about certain things and being way overly involved. Like it is such a hard dynamic to come into. And I feel like it were like I understand why that can happen, right? Because when there's a severed relationship, they aren't thinking ahead of themselves of thinking, okay, well, we need to have these set boundaries because when we both move on, right? Like, I feel like there's still, I would imagine, I mean, I can totally understand, like there's, there's still a lot of, it's still, the wound is still open where you don't want to think about another person coming into the picture, but it's inevitably going to happen. And so then when it does happen, it's like, then we're the bad guys. Right. Like we're the ones that are like, this shit is messed up. (laughs) This is not okay. You need to have a backbone. You need to have boundaries. You need to, you know, and it takes sometimes us as partners to kind of, what's that saying? Like 
take away the curtain of like, I don't know, and just show them the reality that this isn't sustainable. This isn't healthy. This isn't good for the kids. This isn't good for us. If we're going to have a relationship, this can't exist. Like you were saying, like, how do you invest in a relationship when you're constantly revolving, you know, your lives around a custody schedule and not knowing when you're going to have them, you know? But it's just, I'm just hearing this and thinking like, dang, that's a lot that you guys had to figure out. But what I'm hearing is you figured it out. Yes, we did. Yeah. (laughs) And we're in a good place. And I mean, I think you really said it well. I think that we just happen to be the new factor in the picture that like brings light to this isn't right. We're not the problem, but we get the brunt of it. And and I, when people kind of talk, ask me like friends or coworkers or whatever about like the situation, you know, I always say like things are good now, but like all it takes so things were things were good like once we established boundaries for quite a while then ours baby comes into the picture sure and that like some more stuff started coming up yeah or like we moved and you know it was a huge deal that she didn't know our address as soon as she needed to well some of your family has shown up at our door and announced like Mm -hmm. maybe we don't Mm -hmm. want you to know maybe we don't feel (laughs) safe (laughs) yeah yeah but it's like things like that and it will be forever you know there will always be like some new scenario like with ours baby and moving and things like that that bring up some feelings and like bring light to the situation and we'll deal with some of it again yeah and i think that's such an important thing to remember right is that you will make progress in certain areas and it will get better in certain areas, but you have to, I guess, hold space that it's not, it, there's going to be new chapters, right? And I feel like that if we were to be able to visualize this as that of like, oh, we're not the people that are coming into the picture and messing something up and we're the ones that are changing everything. It's, oh, we're at the stage now where there's new partners entering into the picture. So we need to all move aside and create space and reevaluate what's working and what's not working. And then, all right, then the next chapter comes, whether it's a move or a new baby or, you know, the kids are now teenagers and that's messing shit up. Like, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, we're, just- we're, we're literally, we're just talking about that. Our oldest is, she's not a teenager, but she's going to like the next level school, which is like an intermediate school. And like, she's got to pick like band versus orchestra versus this. And like, it's talking about, having the rental fee and all these trips that they're supposed to go on. And I was like, hold up. Like, we're not signing this without right? a conversation. There's the things that, and like cell phones and like getting in a car. Like there's these things that are going to come up and it doesn't mean that it never gets better. It just means shit's changing and we have to keep our cool. I know that earlier on in, in my couple of years, first couple of years, I was, at any given time, there was another thing that would happen, whether it was my mom lost her job or, you know, everything felt so like an emergency and like everything felt like I was just on the edge of my seat and I didn't have any control. And then I eventually had to get to the point where I was like, I can't live like this. (laughs) I have to realize that this life is just going to change like that. And I have to be secure in where I'm at at any given time and know that I'm okay. Yeah. Right. And hold your boundaries. Cause like you said, I think that that 
describes how it was early for us too, is it was just so, I remember my husband telling me early on, he was like, I would get super stressed about something because my mom would say like, she's going to do X, Y, and Z and try to change something up. And he would always be like, the only thing that's consistent with them is that they're inconsistent. He was like, I'm telling you, give it 24 hours and she'll be saying something else. And I think that that's the truth. And and so when we got these boundaries set, there was a lot of backlash. That's when they like showed up at the door, that kind of thing. But then as we consistently held them and it wasn't easy, you know, I mean, cause there were times where it's like, you want to just be like, it's fine. We'll get the kids on a day. We're not supposed to get them or we'll, we'll keep them on this day and stay home from work. Cause we don't want, you know, it's more time with the kids and, and you almost like don't, you don't realize that it's for the kids, but holding those boundaries ultimately in the long run, we're seeing the benefits of that. And the kids have more consistency. They know what to expect. And we even do it with our family. My family has even been like, we miss the kids and we're have so-and-so's in town this weekend, but y'all don't have the kids. Can you talk to, and I'm like, uh-uh, nope. I'm not starting that. I'm not setting that standard to where they can then start doing that. And, you know, the kids know their schedule. They like it. Yeah, I think the hardest thing about probably the parallel parenting where sometimes I wish there was some better co-parenting in, in our reality is like with our, our with my stepson and with his autism. And, you know, for those of you that aren't familiar, you know, it's so important to have like routine and consistency and schedule and expectations. And so he's living in two totally different worlds. And so like where we're at now with bio mom and her family, like we're pretty good. We got good boundaries. We're parallel parenting. The best way I can describe it is like, it's not high conflict, not at least consistently or all the time, but are there, do we like how she parents? Not really. Does she parent like us? No. Does she make decisions we wouldn't make? Absolutely. Do we think that she could be irresponsible? Sure. Do we think she's like a bad mom and should have the kids? No, of course not. Like we, we understand the importance of her in their lives and they love their mom, but like, it's hard and we have to pick our battles with my stepson because that's when we do sometimes like kind of encroach back into trying to co-parent is when they're missing his therapy appointments and, you know, and I mean, those, that's one of the things that we'd eventually probably step in and be like, listen, if it's your day and you can't take him, that's just tell us and we'll make sure he gets there. You know, he's going to lose his spot. It's going to affect him. And, and so that's probably the most communication we ever have. But that side is usually involving him and like making sure that his needs are being met and that we're trying to be as consistent as possible. It, it's not though. It, I mean, it, so we have to choose. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate. I, I that is probably my biggest my biggest struggle with parallel parenting is you know with my stepson. I almost said his name, which is funny because it's like I'm very good at not doing it, but I almost did. With him, you know, we've had as I've shared over the years, you know, toileting issues, and he has ADHD and anxiety, and there's things that, and we are currently dealing with right now that we're concerned for him. And, you know, we, it's, we want to, we would love to have a collaborative conversation with Biomom and say, Hey, this is, you know, what, I, and we can, we can try, but ultimately 
we know what the outcome will probably be because we've seen it over and over again. And that's just really hard. I think when you have to have, cause there's the, there's things that you definitely don't have to talk about with parallel parenting, your house, my house, you know, but then there are certain things where it does come down to the health and well being of the kids and you want to make an effort to communicate and it's, it could go well or it could go terribly wrong. And that's just proving again, why you parallel parent, but like if you had a better relationship, you know, it's just, I get into this, like, God, like, why does this have to be so hard? And so when it comes to your stepson and supporting him and his needs, are there certain things that you are still trying to fight for in regards to structure or, you know, so, you know, consistency? And what are the things that you've just kind of given up and are like, she's never going to do it? We got it in our house. We have to move on. Yeah. So I think probably the thing that we continue to like advocate for and try to like, I guess, choose those battles is like things like with his therapy, making sure he's going on her days. And, and we don't know when he's not, except for the fact that the therapists tell us, you know, she's not telling us, she's not taking him for whatever reason. But that type of stuff. I think the things that like we've had to accept and give up on in a sense is it's almost like the way she views his, his needs and his diagnosis. It, it, in my opinion, it seems like she almost thinks he's going to be cured or like this is temporary. Is he going to grow out of it? Cause that's what we hear all the time. Yes. And of course, like parents, well, it's hard to accept these things, but it's not doing him a benefit by like being in denial in a sense. And so, and I don't want this to sound bad because I'm not saying that he should be treated differently than a neurotypical kid, but he, he does have to be in some senses. Probably the best example I can give you is like he came home one day and we was playing in the backyard and pulled his pants down and peed in the backyard. Oh, and we were like, mm-hmm. what is happening? So <laughs> I, I, I swear I'm so, I shared this on a, it's relevant. So I have to share it again. But same thing happened. I went and picked up my stepson from after school care and I was signing him out and they were like, oh, so there was an incident today. And I'm like, okay, great. And she's like, you peed under the slide. I'm like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> right. And so, of Teaching course, moment. yeah, of course, my stepdaughter, we were like, what is happening? And she's like, oh, yeah, at, at mom's so-and-so boyfriend showed him how to do that. Like, they're boys. They can pee outside. I'm like, no, 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 no. I was like, Lee, well, I hate that's what I was just saying. It's like, you've got to, uh, we're going to have to say something. I was like, because this is like a major disservice. And at this time I was working at a facility for children with autism. And so I saw kids like in teenage years being like criminalized for their behaviors. And I was like, we're, if he doesn't understand the context, clearly, like he could pull down his pants in the middle of school, a playground and pee. And like, what's going to happen then? Are people going to, you know, like criminalize or demonize him for that? You know, I was right. like, this is a big deal. Yep. But I think that that's a thing that like we're going to continue to advocate for, but we don't know 
like her kind of response to that was just like, he's a boy. Like, right. Right. But what are the long like, she doesn't get Right. Yeah. She doesn't mm-hmm. get that, you know, he doesn't understand when he can and can't and when that's safe and not safe. And, and so we have to just be consistent and make sure he understands that we don't do that at all. You know, we can't, we can't expect him to differentiate, especially at, at the time I think he was six or, you know, especially a six-year-old. Yeah, we have similar conversations too. And, and it is about the context and similar reasons we had to teach. And, you know, I think bio mom, like we're saying, like there's this form of denial when we have, when they have their kids that have, you know, special needs or, you know, that they have different struggles or, you know, like we're still trying to really like let like show bio mom that he does struggle with ADHD. Like this isn't just him, you know, and it's, she's doing him such a disservice by not acknowledging that what she's seeing is, is based on, you know, his diagnosis. And that's not, and I think as, you know, social workers and stuff, like we know, like this isn't a, I'm not labeling him. I'm not, it's not a crutch. It's not a, you know, a bad thing. It's an, an empowering thing. Because once I've had a recent conversation with him where I've described, buddy, I know you're not lazy. I know that you are a smart kid and you care and you can do so many things. I've seen you do them. I also know that your brain just works differently. And it's hard for you to see a list of things that you need to do because it looks all scrambled to you and it becomes overwhelming. And I know that it's difficult for you to sit, not because you're annoying or, but you know, and it's just, and him knowing that it's like, oh, I'm not crazy or I'm not a bad kid. Like just, I mean, we as stepmoms go through it all the time. Once you know that what you're going through isn't just because of you and you suck, right? Like that's empowering. And then you can focus on the supports and what you can do to move through it and make your life, you know, more manageable or, or easier. And I just get so frustrated like you, like where it's just like you're missing it. And I think it's you know, like protecting your own ego of not wanting to admit, or maybe you're taking responsibility because you're their parent or whatever it is, but you're doing your kids a disservice and you're missing time, especially with autism, right? Like you're missing opportunities of that, you know, that intervention, the early intervention, so you can prepare them for the harder times. So yeah, I totally understand the ping in the outside because we had the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's just, I figured that was a good example of kind of yeah. where, you know, clearly the parallel parenting situation is coming into play and there's times we have to speak up. And like like you said, like I think being a social worker and being a set mom and being a special needs mom, all these things, you know, it's a double-edged sword because I think that you know, there's a lot of ability to kind of, like you said, empower and understand. I mean, like, in knowledge is power. Like, having this knowledge of these diagnoses and their needs and why they think the way that they do and kind of how to combat that and how to give them their best life and feel the best about themselves, you have to be aware and have that knowledge and not be in denial. But it definitely can be a double-edged sword because I, I feel like that 
that whole like almost getting too involved and caring too much and then getting that resentment coming out and having that disengagement, you know, going through the cycle. Oh, yeah. I spent like 30 minutes last night and I'm probably going to pop on stories after this and like tell everyone about it. I spent like 30 minutes last night writing an email to buy a mom and I'm just like, this is, I'm going against my disengagement, but this is important and I need to do this, but this is it, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, it's constantly having to shift and like know when to shift and when not to. And yeah, so that's, that's definitely probably the hardest part about the parallel parenting and, and, and accepting that she parents differently and that's okay. She can, different house is with my stepson. Yeah. So with your timeline of falling in love and, you know, we all know that you want a baby. And so walk us through. All right. So you guys moved in together. You're figuring out the boundaries. You're setting up stuff with your your the bio mom's parents and all that stuff. Walk us through, you know, you're not on birth control. So like, you know, start there. <laughs> yeah. So we found out we had just like moved in together that summer, summer 21. And, and the fall, like early fall found out we were pregnant and we're like beside ourselves. So happy. And did, wasn't very long and had a miscarriage and it was like devastating and it was weird. And I still don't know that I have like the right words or right understanding of why I felt this way. But it was hard to be around the kids, this, my stepkids during that. Um, Absolutely. And I know that there's reason for it and that it's normal and probably other people can relate. But it's hard to pinpoint like why. Like I felt, but it was it was definitely, and at that point, I'm very open now about having a miscarriage and, and my stepkids know that now. But at the time, it was just so delicate and brought up so many feelings for me and was so hard that like we chose not to tell them that like because they didn't know that I was pregnant like it was pretty early and like none of our family knew so it was very isolating to you and like again now I'm very like open about it and I see the like importance of sharing that um you know that it just doesn't seem like such a taboo thing I feel like back in the day like you didn't talk about it if you had a miscarriage and that's what's I like you use the word isolating I think that that that's what I love about what's kind of changed now, especially with social media and, you know, knowing about loss and, you know, trying to conceive and postpartum depression and all that stuff is that we have to talk about it because it is, the feelings are common, you know, miscarriages are in, but that even if it is common, it doesn't take away the grief. And that that's what we need to talk about. Right. And I, I think, you know, I, I know you're not alone in that feeling of feeling a type of way about your stepkids after a loss. Yeah. And, and it was weird. And I don't even know what like the right word to say is, but there was definitely just it, it affected things. And I'm very much like the type of person it's hard for me to put on like a face and put on a front. Like if I'm mad I'm mad if I'm sad I'm like you know about it. and I grew up in a house like that like you talked to like people knew if you were sad or mad so it didn't feel therapeutic or like healing to me at all to like keep it a secret but that's what 
we decided to do in the moment. I will say my best friend knew, who's also my sister-in-law. Um, oh, we were nice. best friends first. I always tell everybody Oh, really? That. Yeah. And so she knew, but my brother didn't even know. She was the only one that knew other than my husband and I. And so ultimately, yeah, it brought up a lot of feelings. It was a hard time. And I think that my stepdaughter knew that something was going on. Like she was weird with me and like irritable and like there and I say she was but it probably she was reading like feeding off of my energy I'm sure and so it was a hard like month or so and then like literally the next cycle my next cycle maybe this is TMI um I got pregnant again wow and so a lot of anxiety so I told my best friend again and kids still didn't know but a lot a lot of anxiety during the pregnancy of just fearful of it happening again. And so the first trimester was pretty tough. So around 13 weeks, I think we announced. And what was that like to finally tell everyone? It felt great. I I mean, it was such a, a joyful experience with my family and with his family. Of course, we were nervous about how what was going to affect the two different households and drama. And there was a little bit of same thing, like, you know, she's, they're going to not care about y'all and probably move away to be near her family. And, you know, some of that kind of stuff came back up. But I, I will say, like, it's, 100% I would say positively impacted my daughter's like relationship with me and our family and everything and it's so strange because I feel like it could go either way and she just dove right in and I don't I, I think it almost like made things feel secure to her like we are a family like that that helped her come to terms with all of it and like feel secure in our house and that this is long-term, you know, I don't have to go through that again, like with dad and mom splitting up. And I, I don't know what it was, but it, I mean, she was a, she was pretty anxious and like one of those kids that she could like laugh about something and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like everything was, I'm sorry. And so there's a lot of just like, I think trying to, be accepted and like, and that kind of thing, all this went away. <laughs> like, oh, wow. She, and she is obsessed with her brother. So I have an eight month old. Yeah. So the pregnancy went to term everything and he is just perfect. Everything we could ever want. And he's, she adores him. Like it, their little relationship is adorable. You know, I probably should say this too, because I haven't mentioned a whole lot about from the moment I came into the picture and that's what I love about him. I feel like you can learn so much from kids in general, but him, especially like his autism, he does not care what other people think. Mm -hmm. He the sees truth. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He sees things as they are. He's not influenced by the other house. You know, there's none of that. And I love that. And I have always, he doesn't call me mom or mommy or mama or anything like that, but I'm mom in his eyes. Like, my stepdaughter, almost said her name, can go around the room and be like, who's this? And, you know, he's still like not very verbal. So we love when he's talking and he'll name everybody in the family. He'll name his brother. He'll name his sister. He'll name dad. And when it gets to me, it's always mommy. 
he doesn't call me mommy, Aww. but he knows that I'm mom in this structure of this household. And it's just so authentic the way he sees things and there's no loyalty binds and influences. And, and so like things have just always, he's just like, he's always been so easy to just love and have as a son. Like, I mean, you know, there's never been any blurriness, murkiness, you know, I can do all the same things that mom does and he's fine with it. Just I can hold his hand at the doctor is. and yeah. sit him in my lap for haircuts and pick him up from school and he's just as excited. And, and that has just always become or been so easy. And I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. An unforeseen benefit to how his, how his brain, brain works. works. Yeah. 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 So he's always just been, and he loves the baby and that's his brother. And like, there's, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he didn't ask, like, do we have the same mom? Do we have the same dad? Do we have the same blood? You know, it's just, that's his brother. And so it, that has been, it's just a special, like a special relationship. Yeah. So love that. So that's, yeah, ours maybe. And I, I think the probably, you know, one of the things I would add about the whole ours baby process and, you know, the, just bringing a child into the situation. And I think that pre like him being born, like during that time of pregnancy and like add in the anxiety of having also lost a pregnancy and having wanted to be a mom for so long. And this was like my first, and even I I guess you could say like into the first couple of months of him being here, there was a lot of just like back and forth of being like, this is my first baby and this is my only, like we knew we weren't, I always wanted two kids, but so we knew we aren't having any more. And so knowing it's also like my first and my last, it was just so important to like have it, that experience the way we wanted to have that experience without the other side. Protecting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, and again, I had a really supportive partner in this way where I was upfront with him. I was like, I don't want to hear about, well, when, you know, so-and-so ex, <laughs> ex-girlfriend was pregnant with so-and-so. Yeah. This helped her. My husband only did that one time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear about it, you know? Uh-huh. And bef- when I said that, and so I was very upfront, like from the beginning of pregnancy, I think even with the first, bef- before we lost the first, that I don't, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear what it was like when y'all were pregnant with so-and-so and so-and-so. I want you to go through this the best you can, like, and not minimizing that you're already a dad and this experience and your experience is important, but I also want you to try your best to go through this with like a fresh set of like eyes. And he was like, of course, like I would not do that. And you know, this is different. This is special. And like, he assured me of that because that was what, you know, you grieve that when you Absolutely. are a stepmom, you grieve that shared experience of becoming parents together. And you know, I had accepted that. And so I told him like, I want the best we possibly can to make this unique, special for both of us. And I don't want to hear about you should or shouldn't do this because of X, Y, Z experience. And then after he was born, there was some of that like, 
you know, I just wanted the first couple of months to be like on my maternity leave and stuff to be just with him and like giving him the attention he needed. And, you know, and I'm going a week and a half after he had just started a new job. So he didn't have leave time and I didn't have like paid maternity leave. So like he had to go back to work. And so like, I'm like picking up kids from school and stuff with like a two week old and, you know, and just dealing with that kind of stuff. And I can remember being so aggravated about it. I, and, but at the same, like, I don't know about you, but like, so my daughter was born in September. My stepson started first grade that, that very next week. I was like, this was so poorly planned. So I, I, so I was like taking him to school because I was on maternity leave and my husband like, and I was like, I'll do it. Like, I'll do it. So I would take him to school. I would have to like feed my daughter before getting in the car, take him to school and then like feed her again before driving home because it's like a 30 minute ride. And I'm just like, oh my God. And then I would pick him up from school and she would be crying and I would be super insecure about his experience. And is he getting resentful of her? Is he annoyed with her? But meanwhile, I'm trying to like, I'm like trying to juggle. Like, I don't care if you're annoyed with her. I'm trying to deal with my postpartum stuff. Like my boobs are leaking everywhere. Like it's just... Oh, it was such a hard time. Yeah. So we're about 15 minutes from their school, but they go to two different schools because he's in a different school because of his classroom that he needs to be in. And that, I mean, that's spot on, that experience. Like, so ours was an early August or like a mid-August birthday. And it was a Saturday. They started school Monday. So luckily and not luckily, I guess you could probably say my husband and I had got COVID like the day after we figured out we had COVID. I'm sure we probably got it from the hospital or something. Thankfully, the baby never got it. But so we had COVID. And so because of that, and this is like the only time that we would ever ask this, but we're like, you can't send the kids back here. Like we can't even take care of ourselves. And we have a newborn. So they were at bio moms for a week straight, which is not our typical schedule. And so they didn't meet the baby for like a week or so. But but yeah, like a week after I gave birth, I was taking them to school, two different schools. And to this day, he hates the car seat. And it gives me such anxiety. Like I'll avoid going places. It's better now. He's more just mad and will like kind of yell at me. But it would be like that hysterical crying, like gagging. Mm-hmm. And, and I 100% would get him out of his car seat and like go through the, the school lines. Like I didn't care. I'd be feeding him because it's like I can't. And then same thing, wondering about especially my stepson's experience because Is he's sensitive to noise. He is because my stepson's the same way. So if she would be crying and he would just be holding his ears and yeah, I was just, so I got him like the earmuffs to wear in the car. (laughs) Yeah. But then I would literally in the same minute go from like, I'm sorry, like, and then be like, no, 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 he's a baby. He's going to cry. And like, it's fine. And I can only care so much about, you know, and like just so many dynamics you're trying to navigate and and I will say like we're at a place now like postpartum where I don't really I mean of course every now and then like especially you know just like I feel like half the time like you know financial stuff and having two other kids before you have your first baby 
things like you don't envision. And so like, he's a hundred percent like a hand-me-down baby. Like everything he gets, we are like thrifting or family's giving it to us. And I'm like, this poor baby, he can't have anything for himself. Like, <laughs> and, and so there's times that I feel like a little bit of like frustration, but it was like pretty heavy there the first couple months after he was born and just it, more so that time and that experience. I mean, like, I'm never going to get this back. This is my only baby. This is my first, my last, but I don't get that first baby experience either because I have two other kids. Yep. Yeah. And I think that all of those things are, are what I I get asked about most when you bring them home an ours baby and the feelings that you have and what's okay to ask for, what's not okay to ask for, am I being too whatever? And it's, I think it all boils down to the root, the root yearning for that first experience. And we are both celebrating this baby and also grieving that it's not what I envisioned for myself and for my family and for my partner. And I think my biggest advice that I give pregnant stepmoms is to write out a list of like all the things that you want to do, the things that are really important to you. Like for me, it was when we bring her home, I want at least two to three days at least, you know, to just be with you and my baby. Like that's what, that's what I want. And I want, you know, you know, other things, just like, if you want, if you want to wait to have them come into, you know, whatever it is, whatever is important to you, you know, you deserve to have that. And you got to just communicate it to your partner and trying to protect it because you're not an awful person for wanting those things. It's just a part of the hand we're dealt. <laughs> I can yeah, suck. I agree. I think communication, communication, communication is so key. And, and of course, having like that supportive partner, like which, you know, you either do or you don't in a lot of ways. But I think that that and that's what I I have been following you since probably I don't even know very early on, like before I met the kids for sure, just like getting like this information and gathering it and normalizing these feelings and all of that. And I swear I've used all your advice on on this stuff. And, and I think that that's like, you can't have all these expectations without communicating or, or you're going to be let down majorly and be disappointed. And so like, same thing with mother's day and stuff. Like I oh, remember yeah. my first mother's day and I was like, I just told him, I was like, I want to be recognized on mother's day. And he's like, of course, like he, he like, uh, like, why wouldn't I, which is fine. And I probably could have not said anything, but I didn't want to assume that and then not be and be heard about it. So same thing. I communicated, I don't want to hear about your past pregnancies and being a dad and, you know, all of this stuff and just communicate. And it's always been well received from my partner and that's what he wants me to do. But, and I know it's not that easy for everybody, but I do think that overly communicating is so important in this situation. I think we as stepmoms carry so much anxiety about the future or how we're going to be treated or how we're going to feel in certain situations or whatever that we have to communicate our anxieties and our expectations to advocate for our own happiness. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck 
in that state of stress and we're going to get our feelings hurt and our heart broken and we're going to be resentful when really we just have to speak up. And and I think that that's one of those things that is a super hard lesson to learn because it feels really vulnerable, right? It feels really vulnerable because not only do you are you asking for a need to be met, but what does that say about you, right? Like if I ask for this, does that mean I'm a bad person? Am I being too needy? Am I being a jerk? Am I being high conflict? Am I being, well, maybe, but you know, it's like, well, you need to talk about those things. And I think that that's what, pre- that's what prevents a lot of us from speaking our needs and for asking what we really want, because we are concerned about what it's going to say about us. And we have to start there and really feel confident and worthy of getting our needs met because that's that's what gets us to be the happiest we can be. And we aren't giving our partners or our friends or family, I mean, even outside of stepmotherhood, right? Like we aren't giving anyone the opportunity to love us the way that we need to be loved if we're not speaking up. Right. I will say that nine times out of 10, when it, when I do speak up, my husband is feeling the same, if that makes sense. I mean, not in our experience, you know, he he can understand or he's wanting the same things. And a lot of times he's just wondering how I want to handle it or what I'm thinking. So like just just being communicative, I think is so important in any relationship, but it's like an extra dose in like blended family life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I wanted, I mean, I feel like this this episode is just such a great representation of like speaking up, like taking charge and changing the situation because it needs to be changed. And yeah, it's going to be hard. And yeah, yeah, but like we said earlier on, like your situation like has shifted in, in a way where you have overcome a lot of things and, and yeah, there's rough chapters and stuff like that, but that such is life. Right. But we're kind of circling it back around that we have to speak up. We have to say, I'm uncomfortable with this. We have to say, this isn't working for me. And we have to practice it like girls, like women, stepmoms everywhere need to practice it in front of the mirror and say like, I am not okay with this. I don't want to be treated this way. This isn't making me happy. And, you know, figure out what's preventing you from saying it. But be loud because you know you deserve you deserve that happiness and i'm so happy that you were on bumble and you yeah. found your man and you got your baby and that's i love it it's a great it's a great story yeah it's definitely like everything in the universe working in our favor we always say that i think like our our radius both of us are like we didn't even have our radius set that far like we were an hour and a half from each other. I swear we both believe that we did it. Uh-huh. So we really do believe that the universe was working in our favor. And, you know, here we are and it all worked out. And yeah, speak up. And like like you said early on, I think something about like the wound is like already open. And I, I really do think that it's just a lot of times the stepmoms coming into the picture. It's like that fresh set of eyes. 
and nine times out of 10, your partner's going to agree with you like, wait, this isn't right when you bring light to it, or we need to set mm-hmm. these boundaries or, yeah. or what I've been manipulated this whole time. Um, right. Like they're, they're in survival <laughs> mode. I feel right. like when you get to them, you know, like fight or flight survival mode and they don't know anything different. This is all new to them. And so like coming in and just saying like together, you know, don't do all the work and get resentful, but together like saying, Hey, this isn't sustainable. And like, have you ever thought about this? And, and I would just say like, give things time and baby steps, you know, don't, don't just pull like the rug out from under them. Cause a lot of it kind of just falls into place over time. You know, the schedule was a big thing and we started there, but then, but then from there, like setting the boundaries with texting and having the group text, like I said, it's only been like a year we've been doing the group text and it just kind of was the right time. And I didn't push the issue. I brought it up a couple of times. It didn't Mm -hmm. seem to make sense. Option. Yeah. And here we are. Like, so communicate and, and like focus on your relationship with your partner. Cause if that's not there, then what are we here for? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Katie Beth, I appreciate you so much for uh, sharing your story and giving others your your light and your wisdom. As always, be well and stay radical. All right, ladies, the episode is over, but do you want a little more? Come find me on Instagram and join the community at Radical Stepmoms Podcast or schedule a one-on-one session and get that personalized support or become a Radical member and gain access to exclusive content like bonus episodes and merch. Radical Stepmoms is so much bigger than a podcast. Check out the details and the notes on this episode.